The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. It's good to see you guys. Hey, we got to do something um, just so people don't feel uncomfortable because at at 11 o'clock, when people start walking in thinking they're coming into the 10 o'clock service, don't stare, okay? <laughs> so I, I want to I thank Dustin and Shannon for sharing their story. Um, it's, it's always difficult when you, when you uh, go through something, but what I love about the kingdom of God and what I love about how God has brought us together as a church is we never go through anything that's just for us. And so God has done incredible things in, in their life, and, and we've got to share stories so that we understand that we have a family, that you, we're all connected um, by the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit binds us in unity, and he connects us as a church so that we go through these things together, and we go through these things to be a blessing to other people. And, and some of you may be going through some difficult things right now. Um, but I can tell you that God has a purpose in it and has a purpose through it. And, um, you know, you, you heard, uh, you heard um, about the loss of a child, and that's, I can't imagine that, and I can't imagine that, that pain. But one of the things that, that I know um, that there are others in the church, and there's comfort, there, there's two words that I found comfort uh, from in church. It's called me too, um, that when we finally share what's going on in our life, when we finally say, this is what I've been struggling with, or this is what I've gone through, and someone looks at you, and you're always expecting a much different reaction, but someone looks at you, and they say, me too. There's just comfort in that, and, and knowing that God's brought us together so we don't go through things alone. We're called to do this life together, and I love that I get to be a part of a church um, that is committed to walking with, with each other through the difficult times. Because it's easy to walk through the good stuff. We like walking through the good stuff. But we're committed to walk through the difficult things. Um, this week I walked with a family as we laid their 12-year-old daughter to rest. And uh, I love being a part of a church where God calls us to the difficult times, not just the things where we, we get the, the, good, the good vibes. And um, so it's... Life is that way. And you know, if life is that way, why is church uh, not a reflection of that where we can come in and we can be honest about who we are, we can be honest about what we're going through, and we can get that support that we need. I, I love that. that we're, this, is, this is why we're doing One Church. One Church is, is not just a financial process. We started this campaign in the fall, and, and I wanted to share stories. We've got to share stories because we have to keep it at the front of our minds, the front of our spirit, that, that this is a spiritual process, that we engage in a spiritual journey, that God has called us to do things for the kingdom of God. And, and, and so when we, we talk about one church, if you're unfamiliar with one church, that's, that's uh, what we're working through as a church family. Um, to be able to expand the space and the capacity for ministry here. And one of the easiest ways that we can do that is add services. So in two weeks, we're having our first Saturday night service. We thought about starting it last Saturday um, with timing. You know, we planned, but you know why we didn't? Because of this weekend, because of spring forward and spring break. And we're like, man, that can be a tough weekend because everybody's mind goes, goes crazy at spring break. Even if you don't have kids, like, it's spring break. Even if you're not off this week, you're like, but it's spring break. And it's just something that happens. And then the time change throws 
everybody off. I hate this time change. I kept waking up going, did my phone update? Did my phone update? Because I'm like, I'm the pastor. I can't be late to church. I mean, I mean, I had this nightmare um, in the middle of the night, like, like Adam calling me and going, Matt, where are you? I was like, dude, it's only 7.30. He's like, service just started. It's like, well, <laughs> do an extra song, brother. But uh, <laughs> if it were that easy, y'all had music all day today. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm just tired. Um, but that's what one church is about. It's about increasing capacity for ministry. It's about seeing more lives changed by the gospel. And what I love is that when we hear stories and testimonies, that's a, re- that's a reflection of what God is doing in the lives of people. I mean, this, it's not how good we are. This is about giving honor to God for what he's doing through us. Because I love that God chooses to work through me. I'm a mess, and he chooses to work through me. You're a mess too. Don't be looking at me with that judgmental eye. Y'all are a mess too. And God chooses to work through us. And that's the beauty of church, that he calls us together, this collective mess. And he says, but I'm going to do something incredible in and through you. And I love that. Um, Part of the one church uh, process, uh, we sent out letters a couple weeks ago. Um, just so you know, we're not, we, we didn't single anybody out. Um, we're sending letters as reminders because in the first campaign we did to move into this space, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and it's not like we know in this one, but we're trying to be a little more organized, so give you updates about what's going on, and so keep you informed. Also, um, the, the letter, the, not the letters, the numbers that you saw before you walked in, that's our camp fundraiser that Alec introduced last week, and I'm going to, let me explain to you what it is, and I've got, I'm going to explain it the way I would understand it, because I'm an hour behind right now, I'd just gotten over jet lag from Africa, and then we throw this whole schedule change into everything, but those, uh, we've got a fundraiser going on to raise money for camp. Both our kids' camp, so Creek kids are going to camp, and our youth, our student camp. And, and we know that camp can be expensive. When I was a youth pastor years ago, camp was expensive, and it's just gotten more expensive. So we want to do something to help our kids get to camp. And so there's envelopes hanging on the wire out there, and they have a number on the envelope. And that number is what dollar amount that envelope represents. So if you pick up the envelope that says 200, then put $200 in that envelope, and then you can do that at the Welcome Center, you can do it online, or you can drop it in the giving stations, the black boxes back there. If you pick up the one, that's $1. If you pick up the two, that's $2, three, $3. We tracking lightweight? Okay. So if we pick up 150, it's, man, we are on the ball today. It's 150. There ain't no buck 50. There's no decimal point on that, okay? <laughs> Don't make me go to Malachi this morning, like, why are you robbing God? Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> or Jesus, let the children come to me, and I'll be at camp. Um, so anyway, um, but you can go in with multiple families. So if you're like, hey, let's go in together, you can get a 150 envelope, each put in 75. You can get creative with that. So um, I'm going to leave that up to you guys. Well, let's go. Luke chapter 3. Um, is where we're going to be. This is a tough word this morning. Um, I got to tell you, I I really wrestled with this. And in the first service, um, it was was difficult because uh, we're going to work through some challenging things this morning. Um, Luke chapter 3, if you've got a Bible, meet me there. If you don't, we keep some Bibles on the back tables. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you've got a smartphone, you can follow along with your smartphone. Um, We we put our stuff in an app called YouVersion. 
um, somebody asked me last week, why do you say put your uh, name in the Bible? And I said, so we can get it back to you. So we get Bibles left here and we want you to have your Bible. So write your name in it and that's our gift to you. So what we're doing today, John the Baptist is coming on the scene and he's preparing um, the way for Jesus. He's kind of laying the groundwork for Jesus to step on and begin his ministry. And um, we're going to work through this. This is a, a message that he, he preaches to a mostly Jewish audience. And uh, then we're going to break it down. So uh, just going to jump into it. Verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia, and Trichonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, that's just west of here, um, <laughs> during the high priest, see the first service didn't get that, it was too early for them, um, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me help you understand something. Um, when you read scripture and you get into these names, and we kind of wonder, why is this important? I mean, why do, we, why do we read this? Why are these names in there? That's so we can understand the context of history with scripture. Because we've got to understand something about the word of God. It's not something that happened in a land far, far away a long time ago. The Bible doesn't start with once upon a time. This is real places, real events, and it's given us these, these names so we can see that there's historical documentation for what's going on in the current political system, what's going on in the context of the world as this is happening. And some of these names come back Later, you're going, to see, you're going to see Herod pop up at the end of the day. You're going to see uh, Pontius Pilate come up in, the, in the, the, the ministry of Jesus. And it's important. But what, what, I, what, what I love about this is we see a real time and a real place that God called John out of the wilderness. And in verse 2, it says that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you're in the wilderness or if you've ever been in the wilderness. It's a difficult place to be. But here's what I want you to be encouraged by. God still speaks in the wilderness. God still speaks in the desert. When you're going through those dry times with your faith, when you're going through those times where you just feel like life is just, it's difficult. Um, sometimes scripture refers to that as the wilderness. And God still speaks to us in the wilderness. And he sends John out to begin this. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This isn't salvation. Only Jesus saves. Next week, we're doing baptisms. Right here, there's going to be a big water tank. And we're going to dunk people in, in, in holy Fort Worth water. And there is nothing about that water that saves you. It's a symbol of the salvation that Jesus has already performed in your heart. And so what John is doing is this baptism of repentance is preparing hearts to receive Jesus. And then it says, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Now, he's beginning his message, and he starts out, you brood of vipers. 
Now, I'm not the greatest public speaker, but, but I know that, that rolling out here, I want you to feel welcome. I want you to feel comfortable. And, but I'm not going to come out and go, what's up, brood of vipers? Um, this is the equivalent. What John is speaking to, he's speaking to Jews here, and, and the, they would automatically connect this way. Okay, brood of vipers, he's calling me a snake. He's calling me a serpent. The serpent is who gave the apple to Eve in the garden. He's saying, I'm a son of the devil. He's saying, I'm a son of hell. They would have quickly made that connection. So that's like John rolling out, going, what's up, sons of hell? How you doing this morning? Glad you came from all over the countryside. And it doesn't get any better from there. I'm just telling you. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So basically, um, he's rolling out old school, fire and brimstone. Like what is up? I mean, if he would have had a big wooden lectern, he'd have been beaten on it. What's up, you sons of hell? I mean, you dare come in here? And then he says, and don't, don't rely on Abraham. Some of y'all are thinking, well, yeah, well, because I'm a Jew, I'm from Abraham, then I'm God's chosen one. I mean, these Jews were probably thinking, aren't we the chosen people, John? And you're telling us that the axes at our root were going to be cut down. You're just beating us up, brother. How many, I mean, I'm not going to do a show of hands. I want to say, how many people felt like that growing up in church? I mean, because we all felt beat up. But John's given a tough word. He's given us an honest word. I mean, we can tend to think because of our, our past history or our parents that, that we're okay with God. You know, I, meet, I always meet people, and when they find out I'm a pastor, like, oh, my grandfather was a pastor. That doesn't mean that you're saved. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just because we're American doesn't mean we're Christians. Just because we live in Texas doesn't mean we're Christians. I mean, everybody in Texas is saved until you get them in traffic, right? <laughs> or on a golf course, I'm just saying. Um, but he, he's saying you can't rely on your religious system that you've been playing. What's happening is John's getting ready to change the game because Jesus is going to step on the scene. Now, if I was sitting in this, this teaching from John... I probably would have been like, hey, Heather, I got to go to the bathroom, and I'd have never come back, right? Or you'd be like, oh, I think my kid's number's on the screen. I'm going to go check that out, you know, you just, or get a coughing fit. But what's interesting about this is the message of God is coming through John, and hearts are being prepared. See, all I can do is be the, the spokesperson for the gospel. I can't change your heart. That's God's work. Now, I think John was a little difficult and tough in his delivery, but God knew exactly what needed to be said. And I think for us, we've got to hear that tough word. We, we need to hear that tough word because it needs to drive us into some, some action and into some thought process so we can really get honest about where we're at with God. Are we playing a religious game? Because, man, it is easy to show up to church and play the game. And John's challenging us on this because it's, 
It's not about the religion. It's about the relationship with who's coming. It's the relationship with Jesus. It's not about the religion. It's not about playing the game, but being transformed and living life in that transformation. And what's interesting in verse 10, it says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? There's a a change of heart that they're having. And John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with them who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came also to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. See, tax collectors were famous about overcharging taxes and living in wealth because they were receiving more than, than they were needed. They, they, were, they were taking advantage of people. And then it says, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. What he's saying to the soldiers is, look, you've been going to people, and you've been bringing up false charges so that they would pay you so you would not go to the authorities and report their false charges. There was corruption going on. That's the brokenness that we live in. Every one of us falls into that brokenness. And we find ourselves in that story. And John is speaking to them, but John is speaking to us today. And we find ourselves in this, what then shall we do? And it says, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, next week, we're just using water, okay? So those of you who are signed up, we're just using water, okay? Don't worry about this. What does it mean by fire? There's a refining nature that comes through the power of Christ. That when we, give, when we come to him in repentance, the Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church. He, he sets his seal on us so that when God sees us, he sees his seal, And he says, you are mine, and you're sealed for the day of redemption. And this fire is that refining process that begins to to make us and draw us and shape us into the image of Jesus. And John goes on and says this about Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. All of this that John is saying is good news. How do we go from, hey, what's up, sons of hell, to good news? It's because of Jesus. And he begins to preach them. But here's one of the guys from verse 1 that shows up, verse 19. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, by John, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. John went after Herod because um, he, he really reproved him for being a sexual deviant. He's like, you're jacked up, man. You, mar- you, you have taken your brother's wife. And so Herod says, well, I'm going to throw you in prison. Later, John's head is delivered on a platter to Herod. And so when we look at this story and this preaching and John coming out of the wilderness to start preparing the way for Jesus, um, we, we hear this tough word. And the hard part is, is we've, we've tend to, I don't want to 
trying to figure out how to say this nicely. Um, we've tended to soften things up so much that we're unwilling to receive difficult things. And John's just getting honest with us. And we need to respond like the crowd did. What then shall we do? I mean, when we realize we can't rely on our good works, we realize we can't rely on our, our parents or my praying grandmother or my, my, my grandfather who was a, a preacher. We, we've got to take some ownership of our faith. And we ask the question, what then shall we do when we hear this word? And, and the real question that, that I, I put out, out there as I was praying about this is how do we, Paul, or John said that we're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So the question that I wanna wrestle with this morning is how do we walk in repentance and joy for the glory of God? Because um, repentance can, can get us under a pattern of guilt. And guilt is a terrible motivator. And God doesn't use guilt to motivate us. He's concerned with our joy. When we start making following Jesus a, a list of religious rules that, that don't do this, do this, it has to be done this way, and if you don't, you're guilty. And when we get into this, we're gonna lose the joy of following Jesus. And we've gotta understand that, that God works things for his glory, but also for my good and for my joy. And he's concerned about my joy. And so we've gotta understand that when we think of it from a religious standpoint, the game is being changed. Because if you've grown up in religion, it's all about don't do this or God hates you. If you do this, you're going to hell. I mean, I grew up feeling like I was going to hell every Sunday because if you watch this movie, you're going to hell. If you dance, you're going to hell. If you drink, you're going to hell. I mean, every Sunday I left going, man, how do I get saved from hell? And how do I enjoy life? I mean, I mean, am I supposed to just go live in a room and I can't do anything? And we tend, to, we tend to think that walking with Jesus or this life in Christ is void of any joy, any fun. But it transforms us to be able to receive the joy that he gives. And so how do we walk in repentance and joy for the glory of God, because everything we do should be for the glory of God. And, and, and when we find ourselves in this story, we, we see that the crowds were listening to what John was saying. They said, what shall we do? They begin to start looking at themselves. They, they went through a process of self-examination. And this is important in our faith, that when you see Jesus interacting with us, when you see the gospel uh, confronting us, it's going to do two things in our life. It's gonna challenge us to examine where we're at, and it's gonna challenge us to be producers for the kingdom, or, or as, as John says, bearing fruit. And so we start thinking about this concept of self-examination, and it's a difficult task. Because it means we've got to get honest with ourselves. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. So it's kind of start looking at how you're living life. Have you reduced it to a religious game? Are you playing the church game? Because like I said, it's easy to show up 
and, and, and look the part and walk the part and, and do what people might expect you to do. It's just like walking into the gym. I mean, I can walk in the gym tomorrow and I'm gonna do, there's a couple things I automatically do when I walk in the gym. I suck in. I mean, it just happens. It's my ab workout, okay? And I kind of feel a little strong. Kinda, you kind of walk a little stronger. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> we do that in church. You know, we walk in and we're like, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm blessed today, brother. Praise God, praise God, praise God. <laughs> and you walk in with that smile that, that you're like, it looks like nothing's going on, but you just fought with your wife the whole way to church. And you put on, everything's great, pastor, praise God, God is good. And then you get in the car, I'm going to pick up my wife, I'll pick you up at the front door, honey. Okay, I'll see you at the door. And you get in the car, and we go pick up right now. You know, <laughs> ding, 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 you know, round two. <laughs> but we can play the game. But it takes some self-examination to see where we're at. Where is your faith? When, when you start looking at things things around you, it's ask yourself these questions. How do I respond to the hurt and the needs around me? Because John said this fruit in keeping with repentance, that if you see somebody who needs uh, clothing, you give them one of your tunics. If you see somebody who's hungry, you feed them. And so it, it changes the mindset. How do you look at the needs around you? Does it lead you to pray, God, thank you that I'm not like that? Or does it lead you to engage? Because let me tell you something. When God transforms your heart, you're going to give away tunics and you're going to give away food. Or maybe the self-examination is, what am I taking that is not mine? You might be in the tax collector and soldier group that he's talking to. What am, what am I using around me for my own gain? Because his message was twofold, that when, you're, when you go through repentance, when there's a life change, when there's transformation, it's going to lead you to give and it's going to lead you to quit taking. And so we start looking at this. How, ask yourself these questions. How do, you, how do I view my stuff? Stuff is all right. We need to praise God for the blessings in our life. How do you view your money? We need money to live. How do you view it? How do you view your neighbor? How do you view your job? For the joy and the glory of God? So we've got to go through these processes of self-examination so that we know where we stand concerning God's mercy and God's grace. Because what we have to do in order to walk in this life with repentance and joy for the glory of God is we've got to receive the fullness of God's mercy and his grace. This changes the game. This is the game changer. That when we have that moment of self-examination and we see, have I received the full mercy of God? Have I received his grace? If it's no, then I throw myself on the mercy of God. When I'm confronted with a difficult word, and here's the thing we've got to be honest about. Without Jesus covering us, without the grace and mercy of Jesus transforming our life, we're just as much a son of hell as the people John's speaking to. We're just as lost. We're just as empty. 
without the grace and mercy of God. And this message that he gives from Isaiah chapter 40, when he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What he's saying is that with the cross of Christ, when Jesus steps on the scene, He's going to clear all of the obstacles for salvation. He's not saying he's going to make the world a boring place. That all the mountains are going to be, that that when you look at the world, it's all just going to be flat and drab. It's going to be like driving through West Texas. What What does this mean? In light of the cross, in light of the grace, in light of the mercy that comes through Jesus, when he talks about the valleys will be lifted up, what he's saying is we all have places in our life that are, are the, the pits of despair, that there are the wicked and dark places in our life that we, we, we try to hide. We want the valleys to stay low. And what happens is through cr- the cross of Christ, those areas that we want hidden, that we want to stay in the valleys, are brought up so that God can deal with those. Those areas of shame, those areas of struggle that he brings up so he can redeem those areas in our life. And when he says the mountains will be made low, you know, there are times that we feel like we've got this whole thing under control, that I'm good, I got this, I did this, I accomplished this. You know, pride will lead us to thinking that that we can somehow earn God's salvation or earn his favor. And when he says that the mountains will be brought low, what he's saying is those times that we feel like we're on the mountaintop and we're prideful about being there, he's crushing that. Because there's nothing we can do to, to make God love us anymore. There's nothing we can do to make him love, any, love us any yes, less. There's nothing we can do to get any more favor. He loves us. And when we stand on the mountaintop with our own pride, he says, I'm breaking that down because that is a barrier and I'm opposed to pride. When it says that the, the, the crooked will be made straight, we all have sin in our life. And he's gonna deal with those areas like like lust and rage, manipulation, lying, whatever it is. I mean, we know what sin, here's the thing, we know what sins we're messing around with in our life. And he's gonna take those and he's gonna straighten those out. And when it says that the rough areas will be made smooth, what he's saying is he's refining us. It's like sandpaper that we've got rough areas in our life and he wants to refine us. That's the baptism, like when he says, by fire. I wanna refine you. And this isn't always sin. I mean, we're going to struggle with sin. I'm not, I'm not excusing that, but let's be honest that, that we deal with sin. It's in our life. But there's also areas that when you, when you press into Jesus, when you, when you pray and you say, God, I wanna, I wanna I want to serve you more. I want my life to be for your glory. I want to press in and know the heart of God. I want you to continue to shape me into who you've created me to be. Here's what's going to happen. As he draws us in, he's going to say, we need to refine some areas of your life. And he's going to say, you know that thing you've been dealing with? 
It's a morally neutral thing. It's not sin, but I want to I take that out of your life because that's keeping you from the fullness of my glory and the fullness of your joy. And most of the time we throw our hands up, but that's not sin. Jesus is like, I know it's not sin, but it's keeping you from the fullness of my glory. And it's keeping you from the fullness of joy. So let's deal with it. He's refining us with the grace and the mercy of God. So we go back to a self-examination. Have I received the fullness of the grace and mercy of God? If not, it's ava- that's the good news. It's available for us to receive. And that transforms us. And only then can we do what John is saying is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Because you and I are called to bear fruit. We're called to be producers in the kingdom of God. But here's what I've learned about this bearing fruit. It only happens when we're full of the grace and the mercy of God. That's only when we can quit taking and start giving. And that's making Jesus clear. So I hear people say, you know, I'm praying for more peace in my life. I'm praying for more patience in my life. And you can go down the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so we can start praying. I'm praying for more self-control in my life. Why do I keep struggling with this sin? Why cannot I overcome the sin? I'm just praying for more self-control. Let let me help you with something. You're not the, you, you cannot make the fruit grow. You're dirt. I'm dirt. Guys, let me just go back to the Genesis, back to Genesis. That in the beginning, see, God took some dirt and he formed it and he breathed into it. So here's what we are, guys. We're dirt bags. <laughs> Ladies, don't you be laughing. You're a spare rib. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> don't think you're all that. Come on now. But what happens as we draw into the mercy and the grace of God, that begins to prepare the soil so that the Holy Spirit can produce. Where there's good soil, there's good fruit. Jesus gave a parable about this. It's a condition of our heart. Where there's good soil, there's good fruit. How do we get the good soil? Through the grace and mercy of God. And so instead of praying for more peace in our life, are we praying for more grace and mercy from our Father? Are we trying to draw closer into the heart of Jesus? Are we trying to draw closer in to, to our Father? And so instead of saying, give me patience, God, because here's the thing. When you pray for patience, he's going to test you. He's going to teach you patience. I've changed my prayer on that. God, I want to draw into your heart. Because when he draws me into his heart, he produces patience. God, I want to love my wife the way that you've called me to love my wife. And the only way I can do that is when I draw into the heart of my father through the grace and mercy of God. He produces a love for my wife that I can't manufacture. 
God, I want more patience, more peace. He produces that in our life. And that's in keeping with the fruit of repentance. That when we stumble, when we fail, we throw ourselves back on the mercy of God. God, I fell. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against me. And I'm asking for your grace and your mercy. And he lifts us up. That grace and the mercy, he lifts us up. And he says, let's keep going. And I'm going to produce in you. And what I've learned is I've got to go back through self-examination to see what areas of my life have not been fully submitted to the grace and mercy of God. And so here's what I know. Some of you are playing the game. And it's exhausting. Some of you feel like you're in the wilderness. You're just like, man, I just, I'm not, I don't feel like God is doing anything in my life. I'm just, I'm here I don't even know why I'm here. And if you were to get honest in self-examination, you might just say, I don't even know why I'm at church. And that's okay to be honest. But can I tell you this? God still speaks in the wilderness. And his word will call you out of the wilderness. And if you're playing the game, let, let, me, let me just, let me encourage you to let this, this tough word from John draw you in to what John said is the good news. That's the grace and mercy of our God. That because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that cross stands for all time, that Jesus bore our sin, he took our shame, He took our valleys and he raised them up. He took our mountains and he crushed them down. He took what's crooked in us from the fall of sin and he's making that straight and he's taking the rough and jagged areas of our life and he's refining them. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of the good news that we have a savior who walked a hill called Calvary, who bore everything on the cross, absorbed the wrath of God for our sin and for our salvation and he walked victoriously from the tomb so that we don't have to play the game anymore. We can live a transformed life that produces glory, that produces joy, that lets us walk in repentance because we have a God who loves us and saves us. And I'm going to pray for you and I'm, I'm going to pray that you have clarity in your self-examination and I'm going to pray you have courage to do your self-examination and I'm going to pray for the grace and the mercy of God to transform your life and completely change how the game is played. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And, And I pray that Holy Spirit, as you're in this place today, I I pray that you give courage to people sitting in this room. I pray that you give courage to people who are are even watching online. Give them the courage to go into this self-examination. Give them the clarity as they begin to see what you reveal. God, you're revealing things in our life that we didn't even know were there. God, you're showing us areas that we've been hanging on to, areas of unforgiveness, areas of bitterness, areas of anger, areas of manipulation, areas where our lies have have built just a, a fake world around us. God, you're showing us that we do fall short of your glory. And 
I pray for clarity in those things. And I pray that, that you catch us this morning, Father, as we throw ourselves into your grace and into your mercy. I'm praying for forgiveness to come this morning for people who need forgiveness. I'm praying for salvation this morning for people who need salvation. God, I'm praying that you change the game for us through your grace and your mercy and that you produce in us so that we walk in repentance and we walk in joy all for your glory, God. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com.